0: Hello, I'm Bill DeMay, Vice Chair of Communications with the D.C. Young Republicans, and you're listening to The District Download. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of The District Download. We are back from a brief hiatus tonight, and we're ready to get back to interviewing some fellow young Republicans, candidates, and prominent figures from across the Beltway and beyond. So tonight, we've got, we'll have got we be interviewing Sarah White, a resident of Falls Church, who announced earlier in January that she'll be seeking election for the House delegate seat in the 53rd District. Uh, Sarah is a small business owner and small business consultant that understands what it takes to improve quality of life and support in businesses and employees in Falls Church in Northern Virginia. And um, just before I go any farther, uh, I'd like to remind our listeners out there that the views and opinions expressed during tonight's episode are that of our own, and in no way, shape, or form represent the views, opinions, or policy positions of our respective employers. Now, with all that being said, welcome to the podcast, Sarah.
1: Thanks so much, Bill. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show tonight. So just get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: So as you said, I run several restaurants here in Northern Virginia, as well as my own consulting business, helping restaurants that might be struggling through COVID, or maybe they're opening a new restaurant as we open everything back up. So I'm really connected to the business community here. I'm also a member of 18 different groups in the area and always expanding. I'm a joiner. I love people. I'm I'm the golden retriever of people. It's kind of ridiculous. (laughs)
0: That's a great way to describe yourself as a golden retriever. We have a lot of our members who would describe themselves as such very much people person. But I want to go back to um, the 18 organizations that you're a member of. Like if I were to tell somebody that I was involved in 18 organizations, they'd be like, wow. So why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the organizations you're part of and if you've got a leadership role in any of them?
1: Absolutely. So Virginia Restaurant Lodging and Travel Association is the state restaurant association in the area, and I've been very active with them for a little over a year now, and they let me be the president of the Arlington Alexandria chapter to keep us going and uh, try to bring in some new people to our area and to our um Ever growing business now that we're back in the upward swing of things so i'm very excited to be a part of that i'm also on the policy board for national association of women business owners. I really enjoy working with the ladies, our DC chapter covers northern Virginia and Maryland. Um, I am an ambassador for the central Fairfax Chamber of Commerce, which is one of my favorite things to do, because it means I get to meet new people all day and then the others are just various groups that I participate with um, And in some, I have a role in some of them, I'm just a bystander, but I really enjoy the opportunities that they all present to see different perspectives of people in my community of things that they need, of things that they love that they are getting and and what direction we need to be headed. I think it keeps me very grounded and very connected to where we are.
0: So it's safe to say that you're involved and I don't think you have a whole lot of lazy sleep in Saturdays. Is that, is that right?
1: Um I I think I slept in until 9 on Saturday and that was very late. I felt like I was playing from behind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know for some of the younger listeners out there like 9 is is a little bit on the earlier side for them especially after a weekend when we're not there in the pandemic. So transitioning a little bit out of that so uh, as you said adding on to that repertoire of you know activity you have with amongst your organizations uh why did you decide to throw your hat in the ring for Virginia's 50 for a delegate seat?
1: So there's a couple of different um, analogies I like to use for this one. I was trying to help our businesses survive and in restaurant industry, you know how painful that was. I don't have to explain that to anyone, but in all the rules that were coming out and the things that didn't make sense, or you weren't sure why, you know, it always helps to know why something is what it is. I noticed that I'm trying to do the right thing and trying to make everything work, but essentially I'm bailing out a ship with a teaspoon. I need somebody to jump in the, in the ship and say, Hey, I'm going to steer. I'm going to drive now because this isn't making sense. This isn't working. And, uh, that's where I found myself. I was going, somebody's got to, somebody's got to take control of this. Somebody's got to fix this situation. And do you ever, um, walk past a piece of trash on the ground and think somebody should pick that up and everybody else that walks past it, thinks the exact same thing. And the trash is still there when you come home from work tonight. Yeah, if I kept saying somebody's got to do this, somebody's got to step up and steer the ship, nobody was ever going to do it.
0: Right. It's kind of like a little bit passing of the buck. And, you know, somebody's who's on like the city or state dime is going to pick that up for you at some point, um, but it doesn't get picked up and might be a few months before it gets picked up. I know in you know my little room setting, if something was on the floor for too long, I'll probably trip over that and get angry enough and I'll have to put it away and find a home for it or something like that.
1: Well, and some of our issues are maybe made more prominent by COVID, but it's not a new issue. So do you ever put a post-it note on your door? You're like, I'm going to remember to do this.
0: Oh, all and, the time. I've got them right here on my left.
1: Right. But the post-it note, you ignore the first day. You're like, no, 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 I'm busy today. I got that tomorrow. And then eventually you don't see the post-it note anymore. It, it just, it's blind and you can't see it at all. So I feel like some of the issues that we're facing, um, Throughout our state, you know, socially, economically, are all things that we've been going. I'll get it tomorrow, and we forgot they're there. We forgot we put the problem down, and we need to pick it back up.
0: Yeah. So, so going off of that a little bit, so these problems that you're 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 analogizing to us right now, what are you, what would you say are the top three biggest problems in your district, and the top three problems that face Virginia as a state as a whole?
1: I think that the number one issue that I have and that I think a lot of people around me have, not just related to COVID, but really made clear by COVID, is that we don't understand why the rules are, what the rules are, and how to make sure that we're complying with them all the time. Because especially in COVID, a new rule would come out on Friday. It'd be active on Monday. I had no weekend to ask any questions because nobody's in the office. And all I want to do is get it right. Have you ever picked up a health department rule book or really any rule book for anything. And and you try to go to the letter of every bit of it, but I've called health department officials and heard, yeah, we think this is what it's supposed to be. And and it's a fire department came in and one, one fire marshal told us one thing. and, And the next time we got inspected, we were told something completely different. And I think that a lot of times we're all making it up as we go along, just trying really hard to do our best. And You know, to our credit in our state, you get credit for doing your best. They don't come after you. They're not attacking anybody. And I appreciate that. But I also want to make rule books that new businesses can follow, that they understand and they jump in and they don't have to worry or be concerned when someone walks through the door that they're breaking a rule. Um, And and business owners, we're rule followers. We just want to do what we're being asked to do the safe way and then make money doing it.
0: That's where we're at businesses, of course, thrive on certainty and what the next day is going to look like. And obviously, as you said, COVID threw a lot of challenges to that. And some of these challenges though have been, you know, longstanding. Um, you mentioned the, you know, the the rule book or the health book guide, um, you know, some of those codes go back decades, right? So, so I see where you're coming from with that. So um, those are great observations. Now, You're throwing your hat into the ring for Virginia's 53rd delegate district. Um, Have you always had an interest in politics or is this kind of a newfound uh, interest that you found along the way?
1: So there's kind of a couple of answers to that. I jokingly, when I was a little kid, I didn't understand what the White House was. It was on TV. I heard it, you know, I'm, I'm two or three years old and I thought they were talking about our house. I grew up in a single wide trailer in West Virginia and it was white. And I just assumed as a little kid, I was like, mom, they're talking about us on TV. And finally, she, she knew it was gonna break my heart, but she explains to me that there's actually this big white house in Washington, DC. And I was like, do I get to live in that one day? And so I've just always kind of grown up with that sort of interest, that level of like, hey, what's going on up there? What are they doing? How can I get involved? And when I turned 18, I didn't smoke. I didn't do any of those things. So I registered to vote the day I turned 18. Like that was my big 18 celebration. And I loved it. And um, so I've always been somewhat interested in politics. Did I think I'd be running for office this year? Absolutely not. That was not on the radar. That was not in the plans. Um, I've liked to work for other candidates in the past, and I had anticipated in working for a candidate again this year, however, I bought my first home in in Falls Church, my husband and I.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you so much. We love it. We love the community here. We fell in love when we were actually doing their um, scavenger hunt last 4th of July, and uh, we we knew this was where we want to make our home, and I was going to work for whatever candidate ran. There was nobody jumping up to run um and i i realized that the gentleman in our district has been running mostly unopposed since 2013. he's had a couple of races but not a lot of challenging and in, in my opinion it's a two-party system you should always face somebody
0: and there's a lot that's changed since 2013 i mean just removing the pandemic right you've got the rise of social media um you've had several different governors you know you've had a lot of changes since then and and so you know you're fairly new to the district and falls church um you know what do you think you bring to the table um being that you're you know a first time homeowner in falls church and you're you're fairly new to the community what what do you bring to the uh, conversation or what do you plan to bring down to richmond
1: so I've been working in this community for five years. I lived in Tyson's Corner, which wasn't that far away, and I actually lived in this district before that. So I've been in the area for a while. My restaurants, um, one of them is in this district. So I've, I've definitely been attached to it, even though I'm just now living here, running here, as far as home ownership. But I feel that working in this area has given me more perspective than anything else could have. And that's because especially in a restaurant setting where people come in and and tell you about their day and they tell you what's going on with their job or their family, or you know those kitchen table issues that you may discuss with your family, I discuss them with everybody's family. I get to hear them from so many different perspectives and walks of life. I live in a modest condo building here and get to see the neighbors around me. And we're very friendly. I've got to know their children, their pets, and what's going on at their kitchen tables. What are they talking about? It just makes me much more grounded, in my opinion, than someone who's been in office for a very long time.
0: And you you mentioned that sense of community, and of course, the service industry is is the lifeblood for many Americans and how they got their start. I got my start in the service industry. I worked on um, in the food service department on ferries going to and from from my uh, home state of Connecticut into Long Island. And even after that, I worked at uh, my on-campus bar at my alma mater. So I've I've had you know I've had my fair share of service experience as well as just talking to people across the bar. And it, so it's, you've been it, the counselor. Yeah, I have. I've kind of, I've kind of, (laughs) I've had a few funny stories that have happened, but uh, yeah, I've had people come down and kiss the ring and just sometimes, you know, just be like, Hey, look, I've got a problem or like, Hey, this, this girl's driving me wild. Like, what do I do? I'm like, all right. All right. Let me, let me tell you exactly. It's almost as if, you know, being behind the bar gives you a little bit more of like, you know, a, like a relationship guru license, if you will. Like there's some certain authority that comes with it. So But I I love the
1: sacred trust with that. There's like a a time honored. I can tell you what's going on in my life tradition.
0: I mean, exactly. And it goes even long before even cheers was a thing. It's always been a thing (laughs) going back to like the invention of, you know, beer itself and fermentation all the way back in ancient Mesopotamia. So so <laughs> I, I hear exactly where you're coming from. And I love that. So tell us a little bit about, um, if, if you can, uh, about some of the restaurants that are uh, in the district and around the district. Um, Maybe some of our members are familiar with some of them or maybe even have patroned them in the past.
1: So there are five Lost Dog Cafes in Northern Virginia, and I run three of those. And then Cowboy Cafe on Lee Highway. So those are the four that I work primarily with.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll mention this too. I used to live in Falls Church a little bit. So um, it was very brief time. I mean, Falls Church in that area has some great, you know, restaurants that, you know, I'm, I've patroned in the past.
1: We've also got some great breweries and a Falls Church Distillery here now, so mm. we're getting all kinds of different variations of the restaurant here. If you haven't went to Solace Outpost, they're fantastic, mm. and um, settle down easy is here. We've got so many cool places to visit.
0: That's amazing, and and another thing too, compared to you know where I grew up, is that there just seems like even before the pandemic, there was just this, this boom of of new breweries that were popping up left and right. They were being retrofitted from garages and things like that. So there's definitely an entrepreneurial spirit in Northern Virginia, as well as Virginia as a whole. And with that being said, it's been a year and I think a lot of people have been reflecting on the pandemic and how it's impacted them both personally, socially, professionally, and you name it. So as somebody who works in the restaurant space and somebody who's lived through it, same as I and everybody else listening, how would you say, Things have changed in the course of a year with the pandemic. How has that changed with the restaurants you work with, um, as well as just the community at large?
1: So I love to point this fact out first and foremost, and I've been spending a year doing this. Restaurants were always clean. We've always adhered to health department standards and that sort of thing. So when people think that the restaurants changed a lot, they didn't. Uh, Cleaning might have gone from every 30 minutes to wipe door handles to every 15 and that sort of thing, but that really didn't change for us, so we were safe and we're still safe as far as cleanliness in the restaurants go. What's changed is the dynamic of how people consume their food, so a lot more people cook at home now and. That's fantastic. We appreciate that everybody's doing whatever it is that they are comfortable doing with their family, but they have continued to patron us through carry out and delivery options. And I don't think that that's going to go back to fully in person in the future. I just don't see it. So the restaurants that were able to make the changes to the carry out and the delivery are going to be the ones that are really able to survive. And we see that going forward, patios are going to be important. We see that you know, to-go food, third-party vendors, this sort of thing are going to be important, but we appreciate our guests even more that come into the, we're we're just so excited to hear what's going on with your kids for the last year and about the COVID puppy you got and have, that he's already growing up. And so it's it's going to be a little bit different for us going forward permanently, I think, but not all the changes are bad.
0: What would you say specifically to, um, the introduction of alcohol to-go uh, purchases, so you know that you know alcohol purchases included in deliveries and things like that. That's something fairly new, at least over here in the District of Columbia. I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
1: You're going to get me in a little bit of trouble here, Bill.
0: <laughs> no, so, I don't want to get you in trouble.
1: <laughs> I um I feel like if there's not a reason to make something illegal, it shouldn't be illegal. And we have seen specifically through COVID that to-go alcohol did not cause the increase in drinking and driving that we had always been, you know, boogeyman told it was gonna do. And we've seen that uh, people do like to take a cocktail home and enjoy it with their food. And a lot of people told us, especially during COVID, that it really made their experience, that they couldn't get out and have the same meal and drink that they'd always had at our restaurant, but getting able to being able to recreate that in their kitchen at least made it a little more normal It made it feel a little more OK, like things were going to be all right. And so being able to provide that was really important. But as I said, I mean, if there's not a reason to keep it illegal or to have ever made it illegal, then I don't understand why it's a conversation that we're having and why it's not just
0: accepted that this will be the rule. That's a good observation. That's a good observation, again, with this era of change and everything like that. And even today, um, you know, a lot of the governors and a lot of the mayors in the United States are starting to ease back on COVID restrictions, hopefully for good as we get shots in people's arms and things like that. What's the current status of reopening in Virginia right now? And more specifically, in Northern Virginia, is there still a little bit of a hesitancy to open up fully like some other jurisdictions out there, say maybe down in the South or down in the West? Um, Can you elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: Absolutely. So um, Virginia, the way that they did their rules was that you were allowed to be 100% open if you could keep your tables six feet apart. How many restaurants do you know before COVID their, their tables were all six feet apart from each other no two people sitting would ever be within six feet of each other.
0: And it's a science too, especially if you've watched Bar Rescue, which is about the extent of my knowledge to the actual science behind restaurants and bars. But you know, you're trying to maximize space in a lot of these venues.
1: Right. And, you know, community tables are have become a way of life for us. A lot of restaurants have some sort of community bar area, community tables, and those are not allowed to be open bars or community tables. So that takes out a percentage of your restaurant already. And then with keeping those tables six feet apart, I don't know anybody that was above 40 percent in capacity, even though technically we could be 100 percent open. So it was a little tricky there. Um, and and we're watching other states open that up and, and relax those rules a little bit. Virginia has remained hesitant to do so. Um, I'm not sure what the logic is behind that. You know, like you said, people are, are getting vaccinated, people are coming out more. We've got patio tables that you still have to be six feet apart at. And, and they're outside. And, and a lot of places, including ours, have dividers between them. So I'm not sure what that hesitancy is, but I really look forward to the easing of those rules.
0: And we're we're starting to see that over on our side of the river here too. There's been a lot of easing. Um, you know, incrementally, of course, um, there's been definitely a, a desire to start, re, you know, getting people back to establishments. And I think the restaurant community here in DC is definitely hungering for people to come back in full force, especially ahead of the spring and cherry blossom season where there's a lot of people that come to DC uh, that witness the cherry blossoms walk around. And there's a lot of day drinking that goes on on a lot of those patios down by the wharf and Navy Yard. Expanding a little bit more. So you know, in Virginia, we know Pete Snyder has thrown his hat in the ring for uh, governor of Virginia, uh, Pete Snyder. Spoken about him on a previous podcast episode about the Virginia 30-day fund, small businesses. And we also know that Pete Snyder was instrumental in talking to Dave Portner over at Barstool to create the Barstool Fund. I was wondering if you could offer any takes or maybe even any experiences working with Pete or um, the Barstool Fund. Um, were, they, were you the recipient of a grant by the Barstool Fund or the Virginia 30-day fund by chance, or did you know somebody that was?
1: Um, I did not, and I we were not, but I have met Mr. Snyder in person, um, I will say that I had a bone to pick with him immediately for which he apologized. So I appreciate that. Uh, he bumped my announcement day. His announcement <gasps> day for his campaign got bumped and he stole mine.
0: He stole your thunder.
1: So that's been our little joke between us. Is
0: that <laughs> he didn't
1: mean to. And uh, so he gives me a shout out now. And then when we get to go to an event together, it's <laughs> just way of was saying, Hey, sorry. I took that, that spot from you. <laughs>
0: Just sticking on a little bit on the topic of the, the Virginia 30 day fund, um, what do you think is the overall impact of the Virginia 30 day fund?
1: I mean, I think that a lot of, of people in the community, this fund is just an example of how they stepped up for the people that really needed it. And, you know, I think that, that Mr. Snyder deserves a lot of respect for stepping up, seeing a need in our restaurants and and trying to fill that trying to help out the restaurants in our area that were definitely struggling so i definitely appreciate all of his hard work on that because you know there weren't people coming out of the woodwork necessarily to organize on that level we did have a lot of people buying gift cards we had a lot of people coming out and and, and buying to go food and carry out food but um being able to step up and offer those kind of grant funds were really what it took to to bridge the difference ppp funds i mean we see on a grand scale how these were needed for businesses so i appreciate his his doing that and stepping up for an industry that des- desperately needed him
0: and Throughout this past year, too, what what is your position on the the role of the state of Virginia, as well as your opponent, with regards to supporting small businesses and things to like? What were some of the, the the high points that you saw coming from Richmond, and what were some of the inaction that you saw coming from Richmond? So the good, the bad, or the ugly.
1: Fair enough. So, I mean, we all saw how quickly we got shut down, how hard we got shut down, um, the way that rules came out in a way that was not sometimes feasible, in a way that some, sometimes was not understood or followed through on correctly because of, of lack of communication. So I, I think that we all understand what the problems were coming out. But I will say that I feel like, you know, they they were trying. We were all going through something new. We were all going through something that nobody had ever gone through before. But in my opinion, We need a playbook for just this right here. We need a playbook that says, okay, when a pandemic hits, here's what we're going to do. Okay, when a natural disaster hits, here's what we're going to do. And I don't know about everybody else, but I just thought these were on a shelf in the governor's office. I had no idea the books didn't exist.
0: You hear the doomsday scenarios that exist somewhere in some locker and some (laughs) federal agency somewhere. You would think that there would have been a playbook and, you know, something from the Cold War era that had something like this in play.
1: Well, who hasn't heard in their lifetime and I you know i'm not that old i've definitely heard in my lifetime, where you see on a movie or whatever, and they pull out the playbook. For like there's a disaster here's what we're going to do, and I don't understand why I mean I thought they had them on all sorts of things on crazy things just contingencies in case you know an alien lands go pull out a book I don't know and yet. There's not even a book for the simple stuff. The things that we've been hearing since I was a kid. There was a pandemic coming. We've been hearing that it would happen in our lifetime. No, we all didn't think it would happen. I didn't think it would happen. And yet nobody thought, you know, let's just jot down a few notes. Let's just like maybe have a somewhat of a plan for this. And we didn't. So the biggest thing to me that we've learned this year is we have to make those plans. We have to come up with the most unlikely scenarios and the most mundane ones and know how we will respond to that for our communities. We cannot let our businesses fail. We cannot let our children fail. Don't even get me started on education this year and how far behind our children are. Like we just need to have things in place to make sure that we never let our communities down again.
0: So it sounds like you wanna bring a sense of proactivity to Richmond And to start thinking ahead for these certain situations, right? Like with the pandemic or something that seizes the economy that doesn't allow us to conduct business or commerce anymore. So it sounds like that's one of your primary goals. Now, I am going to ask you a little bit about education since that seems to be the topic on everybody's mind. Um, You know, with school reopenings and things like, there are some jurisdictions out there um, that have kids going back to school. A lot of parochial and private schools have gone back and sent their kids back to in-person instructions. And of course, when we talk about this, um, there are, the school has continued, just not in a physical sense. Um, but again, there's a vast difference between distance learning versus in-person learning. So I wanna get your take on Virginia right now with with where they're going with sending kids back into the physical classroom. Um, what do you think were some of the hit and misses uh, this past year when it came to education and what are some of the things that you're gonna bring Um, some of the ideas and solutions that you're going to bring when you go down to Richmond.
1: Absolutely. So we have definitely failed our minority children, our children that might come from homes that don't have as much money as others, the people that couldn't send their children to a private school, the people that couldn't just one of the parents quit their job and stay home. And we know that 20 million women and the U.S. quit their jobs to stay home and educate their children. And as a woman, that's disturbing to me, not because they had to take care of their families. So, you know, That's what we're built for, You know, as strong families, women, men, we wanna take care of our children as a family, as a unit. My husband makes a much better tutor for my nieces than I do. But knowing that so many women gave up their careers for this, um, it's a little bit disheartening to me that, that they had to, cho- to make that choice and the government made them make that choice. So if you didn't have the money to go to private school or to have private tutors, we failed you this year. We did as a whole. So what can we do to not only make up for that? We have to, if it it requires summer education, it requires summer education. I'm sorry, I feel that education is so much more of a priority than anything else in life. I wouldn't be where I am coming from a very poor family if I hadn't gotten an education So if we have to to give up the summers that we love, and, and I hate to do that, but we have to learn first, right? And after that, we have to make a plan to never have this fail in school again. So there are a lot of localities that did better than we did on that. There are a lot of other countries that did better than we did. And we see that a lot of that was having extra space. So why do we not use our community centers? We had restaurants and hotels with rooms shut down across the commonwealth that could have been used for smaller pods for education. Uh, We had teachers graduating from college that were not going to be able to just go out into the job market that could have interned with those students. We know that we had a budget windfall that we could have used to pay for those teachers to educate those students, keeping them employed and keeping our children educated. So I just don't understand why we didn't make any of those moves i'm i'm not a parent myself i'm a great aunt to not only my sister's children but to several of my friends children that i've adopted because i make an excellent aunt
0: but <laughs>
1: i i see the ways that they got let down this year and i'm very disheartened at the fact that we let it happen and can't wait to jump in and find ways to help them catch up and never do this again
0: yeah we'll we'll we got our eye on the future and it sounds like you got your eye on the future as well. So um, another question I have for you is just, you know, if elected, um, what are what do you envision the first, you know, 100 days legislative session looking like? What are your, some of your goals, priorities outside of what we've already talked about um, that you want to pursue as well as some of your top committee assignments that you would want to pursue if elected?
1: Sure, so I think small business is probably naturally where I will gravitate towards so anything that um, any committee assignments, I can do having to do with economics and business will be natural fits for me as far as legislation, I know that we have some very great um things going on here in northern Virginia so let's just say Fairfax, for instance, we have a unit that if you call the police and it's not emergency repeatedly, and there could be mental health involved, or there could be um, you know, something other than an emergency that a police officer would need to respond to, we have a unit here that go out and, and assess the situation, caseworker and, and that sort of thing that will help to see where we need to go next and allow our police officers to do their job, to, to do what, they're out there for to protect and serve us. And I think that we need to look at this program and and how it's working, what the best practices are for it and what maybe they need expanded or what doesn't work for it and see how it could be a model for the state for how our our police departments might be able to kind of bridge that gap. And I know that there's been talk about defunding the police and raising funding for police and, and all of this. And what I say is if I have a restaurant And I have one server on with 25 tables. And so they get frustrated and and something happens. Do I fire that one server or do I hire 15 more so that we, we have enough people so that we can cover our job? Well, I think that that's one thing we're ignoring is that our police departments are strapped. They are stretched thin. They don't get to do the community policing that I loved growing up. I loved the fact that I knew several officers in my neighborhood and Raleigh, before I moved here, I knew the two police officers that were most frequently on my block because we said hello every day. The first time that you meet one should not be on the worst day of your life. That is a terrible time to be meeting anyone. So we need to get back to safer neighborhoods and safer communities through some of these these things that we're trying. And I know that Fairfax is just the example that I know because the gentleman in this particular unit um, have eaten in my restaurant and explained it all to me. But I'm sure that there are many other programs throughout the state that we're doing for not only, you know, places is just one issue, but how do we make sure people have healthcare? How do we take care of that? Well, I'm sure that there are places in the state doing different things that I'd love to learn more about. And this will give me the opportunity to speak with a broader audience, even though I think, you know, from my perspective, Northern Virginia does it pretty well.
0: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that as well. And that's a, that's a great kind of outlook on some of your further goals outside of what we've already discussed when it comes to small business, things like that. So I just have a few more questions for you. Um, I'll, 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 I'll ask you this one. So we're right now in March and election day is coming up in November. What does the game plan look like from now until election day? I'm curious to know what uh, the Sarah White playbook or the game plan looks like. And if you can't give any trade secrets, that's fine. (laughs)
1: No trade secrets here. I'm more than happy to share. So I think that you can kind of already see what my playbook is by my 18 groups. I plan to just meet everybody in the area. I absolutely love people. I love to be the one working on Friday night, running your pizza out to your car so you don't have to get out in the rain and that sort of thing. And I think that doing that is going to help me meet the 98,000 people or however they're dividing it up now um in my district i want to know everybody and i want them to know me if you don't vote for me on election day because you don't believe in my message or you believe in my opponent's message more i can respect that that's the way our system works and you get to choose the person that you align yourself with absolutely 100 but if you go in and go oh i didn't know she was running or who is that now I failed. Now I didn't do something right. So I'm going to continue to join groups. I'm going to continue to go out and work in my community on a volunteer basis. I'm going to continue to do so um, at my restaurants. Anything that I can do to get to know everybody where they're at.
0: Pretty good plan. Make as many contacts as you can. So I'll end it on a fun question. Um, I know many of our listeners at home who haven't had the chance to travel really anywhere for the past year. Vacations have been canceled major events like graduations have been canceled. I want to ask you this. When you receive your vaccine and the pandemic is finally over, where do you plan to vacation to first? Is it going to be the Caribbean? Is it going to be Europe? Is it going to be somewhere out West? Or is it going to be somewhere closer to home?
1: I want to see my mama. I'm <laughs> a mama's girl. And uh, my mother works in a hospital, so she's had her vaccines. Um, but I, I want to go home and see my mother.
0: That's a great answer. I was just up and saw my mother. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a mama's boy as well. So I could respect that entirely. So um, I think that's all the questions I have for tonight. Um, and Sarah, if people want to follow along with your campaign, sign up for an event or do some door knocking for you, or just want to drop you a line, how best can they reach out to you or follow along with your campaign?
1: Absolutely. Well, I'd love to meet everybody. So even if you just want to argue with me about something, still hit me up. I'll love it. Um, you can reach me at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, the number four, VA.com. Sarah4VA. And uh, there's a place on there that you can sign up to work with my campaign. You can email me. My cell phone number's on there. If you want to talk, let's talk. It looks like I have a staff and I'm all fancy, but you get me no matter what you do. So...
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for your time tonight, Sarah. Uh, We look forward to seeing more of you as the months roll on. Uh, Feel free to stop over on our side of the river and visit us at uh, hopefully one of our upcoming meetings. Um, If uh, all goes according to plan with regards to uh, the vaccine rollout and things opening up again, uh, we'd love to have you at one of our meetings coming up.
1: That sounds great. Thank you, Bill.
0: On behalf of the D.C. Young Republican Executive Board, we thank you for listening to The District Download. Make sure to hit that subscribe button, give us a five-star review, and share this episode with your friends. The District Download is currently available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, and wherever else you may listen to podcasts.